You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Seeing everybody. Um, it's really great. I'm just grateful for Wes. He took this by the horns. Um, men's ministry. We've, we haven't done these lunches in a long time. A lot of us have missed them. So uh, thank you to Wes. I'm looking forward to touring Birmingham's barbecue. Um, I threw a little shout out yesterday to Carlisle's. We can't forget Carlisle's. Um, but we'll see. We might. I don't know if we will or not. Um, I threw something on the screen. Um, if I remember at the end of uh, my talk, we'll come back to that. Um, one of my favorite pieces by a guy, a Russian artist named Nick. Is that on there? Um, named Nikolai Gay. Um, this is Judas. You know, the theme today is on power. Um, sense of powerlessness that Judas has that I think he captures. I put it up there because in case your mind wants to wander a little bit, that suits me fine. I know how that goes and um, something to look at while I'm just kind of droning on to the next 20, 25 minutes thereabouts. Um, and then Wes is putting around a, uh, a text, which we'll get to out of Luke 13 in the uh, 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 three short pieces from, uh, from that gospel. Um, let me play another prayer. Um, it's one that a lot of us are going to recognize. Um, we pray at each Lent and the second Sunday of Lent, really trying to center us up to the, uh, to the question of power. So let's pray one more time. Almighty God, who seest that we have no power of ourselves to help ourselves, keep us both outwardly in our bodies and inwardly in our souls, that we may be defended from all adversities which ha may happen to the body and from all evil thoughts which may assault and hurt the soul. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. So power, as I mentioned, just been thinking about this. Um, I don't know that I can. Oh, Wes can. I'll try to be close. Is that better? Um, good. Thanks, Wes. Um, power. I was a political science major at Sewanee. If anybody else went there, you know, George and Byron and some others, Bob Keel taught, and it's probably been my first class in college. And I really think on day one of college, Will, did you have Bob Keel? Did you ever do that? So Will and I were classmates at Sewanee. Definition of politics. Um, who gets what, when, where, how, and why? It's also a good definition of power. Some others would call it the implementation of one's will uh, in the face of resistance. Power. It's all over the place. Um, uh, reckoning with our own power, straight line power, um, the power of, of how we change ourselves, how we get other people to do what we want them to do, um, uh, how we might trade our time for money, and how other people have power over us uh, in our jobs. Um, I get up earlier, you might get up later, um, all depending upon what time you're supposed to be at work. Power is everywhere. The dynamics of power. Um, trying to lean into that for a few minutes before we get into the definition or the, uh, the engagement with the scripture. Uh, the invisible forces of power, the power of the laws of gravity or inertia that objects in motion tend to stay in motion, objects at rest tend to stay at rest. That same power uh, works in relationships as well, relationships which tend to go in the same, uh, or going in a good direction, tend to go in a good direction. Uh, if you're going nowhere fast in a mobile home, as one of my favorite old country songs say, in a marriage, um, you're tending to not go very fast in a mobile home in your marriage unless a greater power outside of it 
comes and does something tornado. to get you on track, like a tornado, that might help. Um, uh, grappling with power and trying to figure out how we influence different parts of our lives. Um, aging parents, anyone? Um, the influence, the difficulty of, uh, of how we figure out how to help someone who's in a helpless position. Um, maybe your own aging or the aging of somebody else that you love. It was yesterday that I went and bought my first pair of readers, in fact, which I couldn't um, help but reckon to the, to the fact of what I was talking about today and the powerlessness that I have over some, some really tired eyes. Uh, the state of the world, um, I'm not going to get too far into this, but just the prevalence of the division that so many of us feel acutely, whether it's uh, happening around the globe or next door to us. It's not a difficult read to recognize the amount of anger that's prevalent everywhere. That just below, just below, just below that anger is likely something uh, uh, like a prevailing powerlessness that so many of us feel. How can we do anything individually or collectively to get things back on track? Whatever you think that track is going to be. And I think we're all grappling with the fact that uh, it's not happening. It's not working. And we've got this collective sense of powerlessness that is dividing and hurting us. Um, and then, you know, let's go up to the, to the question that brings us to church, faith-wise. Just the power um, to either uh, enliven your own faith, maybe to get back to that sense that you once had, that nearness, that closeness to God, uh, perhaps even more acutely, the powerlessness that we might feel over somebody that we love who we hunger and thirst that they would know God, um, that their life would get back on track, that somehow, somehow, somebody or something would intervene for somebody that we love, if not yourself, and get you, get them to a place that, that they have hope because they're facing a hopeless situation. Um, powerlessness, it prevails. This question of power and powerlessness and how we reckon to it. That's all outward, going inward, because that's where the scripture likes to go best. Uh, much more personally, we look inward. It's not pretty. Um, that's the realm, I think, where most of us struggle, that familiar struggle, uh, constantly some struggle of power over yourselves for all your passions, appetites, anxieties, lusts, uh, boredom, fear, needs, hopes, your affects, your shame, your dreams, your resentments, your anger, your love, and things such as these. Um, how do we change? How are other people changed? Um, there are sticks and carrots? Absolutely. I'm not really talking about that. The sort of things which some people would uh, helpfully describe as first order change, the things that we do have some control over, it's not so much those things that we're talking about. Um, a bigger stick or a greater carrot more money, less money, um, the application of punishment, the threat. Uh, we're all in the realm of law here, theologically. That can change somebody's behavior, but we're going to introduce this in a little while. I'm not, I'm not talking about getting into just sin management or behavioral modification. How do we get under that and actually do something that changes a heart, that actually changes a life, that changes a person? So. A light lunch as you're just digesting uh, saws and coming into this, and here I am prattling on about power. Um, we forget that people don't change. 
um, because they're told what to do. Um, people do not change because they're told what to do. We might change their behavior. On a good day, I could change sometimes some of my daughter's behavior when I told them what to do, but it didn't change them. It didn't change their heart. It didn't, it didn't develop them. It changed their course until I was out of the room and then went back to doing what they're always doing. Uh, changing, we don't change just because we're told what to do. It's got to be something else. Um, quick diversion, I can't help but go into the 16th century a little bit. Elm of Martin Luther, when he started the Reformation um, back in the 16th century, uh, some would say, and I certainly agree, uh, the, the, the most important thing that Luther brought to us was the recovery of a biblical understanding of sin. Prevalent, not, not, not how are we justified before an almighty God, justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone, given us to us by scripture alone, the five sole of it, that's great. It was all about sin. Um, there was a prevailing idea that sin could be managed. A big fancy word, here's the word you can take back to your office, concupiscence. Um, uh, concupiscence, according to the church at the time, they had a nice, nifty um, uh, way of managing the inclinations of the heart. Concupiscence, what it was called. A lot of us associate that strictly with sexual love. It's not. It's any impulse, inclination, lust, desire, hope, or dream that springs forward. And the church was saying that the impulse was not yet sin. You still had the choice of whether to sin or not. They called concupiscence the tinderbox or the kindling for sin. Um, sin needed the spark added to it before it became sinful. And Luther, quite simply, was reading his Bible. <laughs> and he said, that's not what it says. Something like Mark 7 turns to this. Um, and this is on the bottom of your, uh, your page there. It's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of a person that defiles him. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, conceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. Concupiscence, appetites, desires, hopes, expectations, dreams, uh, these things which are there in the heart. Um, the theologian Huey Lewis, uh, 1985, the power of love. He's right. It's the power of love, but that's not necessarily good news because you have to ask, what does the heart love? Because the power of love then changes everything once you know what the heart loves. What the heart loves, the will chooses, and the mind justifies. And so if the heart loves uh, the Lord, that's good news. But if the heart loves um, money, that's the easy one to pick on, sex, power, um, greed, malice, envy. If the heart is bent in on itself, it's going to be the picture from, from Luke 13, um, the visual image of a hunchbacked woman, uh, a heart that's bent in over on itself. The power of love, all it does is reinforce itself. So here's the, here's the idea of power. Just really trying to set up the bad news to bring us to the place, back to the prayer, the collect. We have no power in and of ourselves 
to help ourselves. So what's our hope? And this is what I want to tell you today. You can't do it. And that's good news. You can't help yourself. You can't change. You can't help yourself. You can't forgive yourself. You can't save yourself. You don't have the power, the might, the ability, the strength, the moxie. And more than that being okay, God has already done what you cannot do. It's not just okay, it's good news that you can't do for yourselves what needs to be done. The good news is God has already done it. And that's what's going to bring us to Luke 13. So interacting with that for a few minutes. Um, let me read it. Luke 13. Um, there were some... What's going to happen? I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, and I'm going to tell you what it says. Um, Jesus is coming out, and, uh, and somebody puts a current event before him. Um, somewhere recently, um, pretty gory. You can almost forget this happened. Uh, Pilate, the same one that we mentioned in our creeds, um, Pontius Pilate, a cruel man, uh, evidently murdered, massacred some unknown number of Galileans uh, at the moment of their sacrifice. So this would be the equivalent of somebody coming in in the middle of communion, and while we're up at the rail, um, drinking the wine, uh, getting shot. So our blood in the wine is commingled, is what he's going to say, where their blood was commingled with the blood of the goats and the bulls and the pigeons in the temple. And then Jesus amps that up and he says it's not just the personal evil of Pilate, um, but uh, he then says, you know, another current event. Last week, the tower that fell in Siloam and killed 18 people. And he's going to bring all that in there and says, the only way out is repentance. Unless you repent, so you also shall likewise perish. And then he jumps immediately and he starts telling this, this uh, short parable about power. Uh, the power that's related to a powerless bearing fig tree. A fig tree's only purpose, raison d'etre in life, is to break figs, right? And this, this, this tree, which is typically a metaphor for us, for Israel, isn't doing anything. It's not doing what it's supposed to do. So what's Jesus going to say about that? And then he goes to another healing, another story of a hunchbacked woman, a woman who has a spirit of disability for 18 years, where she's bent over. And it's probably not just a hunch. I mean, it's probably all the way over, um, uh, bent uh, in half. And he comes, and she doesn't ask. He just calls her out and says, woman, you're free. You're free from your disability. And then he goes and touches her, and immediately she's erect power, power, and power. So here's Luke 13. There were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifice. And he answered them, do you think that these, like, every, like, like we still think this, surely those people did something wrong. That's karma, right? Everybody gets what they deserve. Um, uh, what comes around goes around. You reap what you sow. Everybody's asking, what did they do? They must have, been, they must have done something wrong. Uh, uh, do you think, and Jesus answered, do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, uh, you also will likewise perish. You want to talk about Pilate. Pilate's not here. I want to talk about you. That's what he's saying. What about you? Were they worse sinners than everybody else? Were they worse sinners than you because they're dead and you get to be alive? No. But what about you? Unless you repent, you also will perish. That's not yet good news, by the way, men. And then he ramps it up even further. No, I tell you, are those 18 on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed? Uh, and the, and the, 
But Solomon fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you also will likewise perish. So Jesus is confronted with a personal moral evil, a situation in which they said, that man, surely that's worse. Pilate, you know, the, uh, the, the, the enemy of us, because he's the Roman curate, um, the enemy of us Jews, a personal moral evil. And you hear how Jesus answers it? Just levels it out and says, there's the moral evil and there's the natural evil of, of, uh, of what we would just call a construction accident, a random act of God, is how the insurance companies would call that. Isn't that interesting? He ramps it up and says, is God to blame any more than Pilate? Is that what you want to know? And he says, doesn't matter. Unless you repent, you will also likewise perish. I think the next parable is a parable on repentance and our inability to repent. We have no power in ourselves to help ourselves. That includes repentance. How are we going to repent is going to be the question. Because he goes on, he says in this parable, a man had a fig tree and he planted it, uh, had a fig tree planted in his vineyard and he came seeking fruit on it and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, the vine dresser, Sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on some manure. Uh, and then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I was thinking about this and I was thinking of Johnny Cash's song, God's going to cut you down. Here's the fig tree. God's going to cut it down. You know, this is, this is an uncomfortable parable. Um, do we set up uh, representations like we do elsewhere? where God is the man, um, where we are the tree, and Jesus is the vine dresser? Um, caution. I want to be careful here. Uh, you could fall into a modalism. Don't worry about that word. Um, uh, where God the Father is now against God the Son. But there is a sense here of, of Jesus saying, you can't know the owner of the, uh, of the vineyard. You can't know why he has a fig tree in his place where there's grape vines. That's not your matter. If you want to know anybody, you better come through me. I'm the vine dresser, and I'm pleading for forbearance. Uh, you cannot help yourself, fig tree. Um, there is no power in and of yourself to help yourself. You better repent, fig tree. Isn't that funny? Fig tree, repent. That's as strange as a statement as me telling you, Peyton, repent. Gil, repent. Fig tree, repent can't. How does a fig tree do that? Fig tree produce figs. I just do what I'm doing. And the vine dresser goes to the man and he says, wait, wait, wait. Let me have it. Let me take it for a year. Let me give it care. Let me dig around it so that nourishment may go in. Spread manure on it. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, so that it can have what it needs. And then it, if it produces fruit, well and good. And if not, we can cut it down. So it ramps up again. You know, we're still uncomfortable here. And he goes on and he tells the, uh, the beginning. I cut it short because this is a Sabbath healing and it goes into the, to the, uh, uh, the president of the, um, of the temple who goes off on Jesus, but that wasn't our, our point today. Um, just ending at verse 13. And now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. 
And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And when Jesus saw her, he called her over and he said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight. She glorified God. So finally, a word of hope. Um, she didn't do anything. She didn't ask. She didn't come to him. She didn't recognize him and say, if only I can touch the hem of his garment, then I will be made well. He just interrupts her life. She's going about her temple business and just says, you know, uh, that one, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her. And immediately, straight away, she was healed. And she was made straight. And she glorified God. So all this, um, this powerlessness that we have, this command to repent, gill, repent, fig tree, produce figs. Fig tree, uh, repent, gill, produce fruit. How? Power, powerlessness. First order change, second order change. I can't be other than what I am. Wherever I go, there I am, as the, as the saying goes. I am what I am, and unless somebody comes, I have no help. So at last, the good news of powerlessness. Am I a Band of Brothers fan? Good. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've shown this clip before. Great. I know it. I know it. It's just it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. So, um, you can't do it. Great Band of Brothers scene um, where a hardened shoulder soldier is coming up on a young guy. I think he came over on D-Day and he found a foxhole and he fell asleep. There you go. Um, and he fell asleep and, the, old, and the, uh, the sergeant comes up to Blythe, I think it was. And he says, you know, here's your problem. Uh, the only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner we reckon with the truth about ourselves and the power that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, the sooner we're able to live. You can't do it, and that's okay. Now hear this. You do not have the power, the might, the ability, the wherewithal, the moxie to do what needs doing. But now hear this, now hear this. God has already done what you cannot do. I'm not talking about sin management. We're talking about doing something that actually changes the game, that shifts everything so that now you who deserve hell will get heaven, that you who are dead will receive life, that you who are in the dark will be brought into the light, that you who are far off will be brought near. And there's Judas. There's Judas. I put him up there just because I think it's an, just a, an evocative, I love this painter, um, just an evocative sense. Um, I don't want to climb too far into this, don't have time. Why did Judas, what, the son of perdition, why did he do what he did? That's a big question. Um, uh, many will think, I can go significantly here, that Judas the zealot had some sense that he was hastening the coming of the kingdom, that it wasn't pure evil. I don't know, I don't care. I do care, but I don't know. Um, Judas did the deed, and then whatever it was, you know, he had a, a, a legal repentance. There's a legal repentance, whether you've been caught up short by the law of God that says, behold the man, like David was caught up by Nathan. I did wrong. And you can have what's called an evangelical or a gospel repentance 
where now the love and the kindness and the mercy and the gentleness and the grace and the gospel of God picks you up out of your death and gives you life, turning you away from what you once were and now gives you something completely and utterly new. And that's what's absent in Judas. And there's this picture of cold isolation. Alone, alone, alone. To quote Les Mis, what have I done, sweet Jesus? What have I done? And he goes off and he, and he, and he commits hairy care. He spills his bowels and he hangs himself. And, uh, and it's on the blood, uh, with the field of blood. Um, and his life is over. Um, Judas, reckoning with his powerlessness. So here's where I want us to go. Just thinking about Luke 13 before we get to our tables. Three things to learn about the fig tree, or we take from the fig tree, the hunchback, and Jesus' take on two current events. First, we confuse repentance with personal transformation. That's just wrong. <laughs> we confuse repentance with personal transformation. Those two things couldn't be further apart. Uh, we have a tendency to check our fruit. I want to see how I'm doing. Uh, and so I bend over like the hunchback woman and I navel gaze. What, what's the word, David? Omphaloskepsis. Did you hear that? That's what it is. Omphaloskepsis. Um, Greek word for navel gazing, where you're bent in and looking at yourself. Is that right? Is that what it means? Um, navel gazing. Um, curvatus in curvatus in se is a Latin phrase that Augustine brought to us and Luther amplified. Um, that we are curved in on ourselves and we can't straighten our own self. To see and behold Jesus and what he has done. We want to test the veracity of the gospel. Um, we want to ask, is, is this really true? Could it be this, this, this simple, that what I can't do, God has done? And we want to check ourselves, or our wives, or our children, or our friends, and we're looking at fruit to try to see, is, is it true because it works? And that's the wrong way to look. The gospel isn't true because it works. The gospel is true because Christ Jesus was crucified, dead and buried. And on the third day, he rose again from the grave um, and was ascended into heaven. We say that every Sunday. That's the basis of the gospel's truth. And then from that truth, fruit may emerge according to the vine dresser's work. Um, looking at ourselves is the fatal mistake looking to the gospel, that Christ Jesus was delivered over for your sins and raised for your justification. That is our hope, the hope for the powerlessness. Um, so that's the first. The second, take heart in Romans 4.17. I put that on the bottom here as well. Um, gosh, I really squared up to this yesterday. Uh, is there a more hopeful verse in Scripture than God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Anybody have a, you know, know somebody who's in a loveless marriage, um, who's got an estranged relationship, um, uh, who uh, for all effects and purposes, dead, dead, and dead? Well, God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Creatio ex nihilo for those of us that care about that Latin. Creation from nothing. Not from an improvement standpoint. Oh, I can take that and kind of work with it. 
from nothing, from nothing, God can bring something. That is huge. Take heart. The only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. The sooner we reckon with the truth about ourselves and our power, our powerlessness, that we are dead in our trespasses and sins, the sooner we'll be able to live. You can't do it. And not only is that okay, that's good news. You don't have the power, might, ability, wherewithal, or moxie. God has done what you cannot do. So the third thing. I think I read a couple of commentaries, and a few had this idea that, that Jesus was cracking a joke about the manure part. I think scatological humor is what it's called. Uh, it's funny in the first century. It's funny in the 21st. Um, so we can talk about that at your tables. We need manure. If the first thing is, Repentance is not personal transformation. And the second is take heart from Romans 4.17 that God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. Here's the third. We need manure. And here's the good news. 2 Corinthians 5.20 God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that we might become the righteousness of God. Here's a question. Who has the distinction? Because there's a concrete answer to this question. I'm, I'm leading you. Who has the distinction of being the worst sinner who ever lived? Us. <laughs> Jesus. Jesus Christ. The worst sinner in the history of the world. Because God made him, I'm almost crying, who knew no sin, to be sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God. The worst sinner in the history of the world, the crucified Christ. Taking that, um, Christ becoming sin for us, um, Christ on the cross, becoming sin, refuse, offal, dung, you know the words. He became that so that we might become all that he was, righteous, alive, clean, acceptable, near, access to the Father. Uh, we need manure. <laughs> we need Christ becoming sin for us. We need Christ to be the worst sinner ever. This is a little bit of a few good men. You need me on that line. We need Christ to be that for us. For him to come to you and to me and to plead to the Father and says, no, wait, stay thy hand. Let me have him. Let me care for him. Let me ground out the, the ground, the hardwood dug into my flesh. Let me dig into this earth, this atom. This is the word, same word. And let me spread manure. Let me spread myself on him so that he, you, me, would become who I was. As ridiculous as it sounds, tell a fig tree to repent. Um, uh, that's what Jesus did. And you know what? The fig tree did it. It bears fruit. Repent and believe the good news. Here, have a gift. Repentance. The evangelical gospel repentance. That Christ Jesus died for you and for me. And he's turned everything around. So, closing, I'll say it one more time and then we'll talk. You can't do it. And I hope this stuff's moved from bad news to good news. You can't do it. You're already dead. You're already dead in your trespasses and sins. 
The only hope you have is to accept the fact that you're already dead. Dead people can't do much. <laughs> they can't do much to help themselves. Dead people can't repent. Dead people can't bear fruit. Dead people can't walk. Dead people can't choose. Dead people can't think. You're already dead. Now hear this. Now hear this. God gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things which do not exist. You do not have the power, might, ability, strength, or moxie. But God does. And he's not making you strong. He is your strength. He's not giving you life. He is your life. What you cannot do, God has already done, is doing, and will do. Now, until our actual deaths, our second death, our physical death, or until he comes back. And that, that is the good news. So with that, let me say a prayer, and then I think every table has somebody. I'll double check after you. All right, all right, and then Wes will tell us what we're going to do. Lord, take these feeble words, humbly offered, and, uh, and by the power of your gospel, which is the very salvation of our souls, um, uh, collect them and, 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 and do what you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.